Welcome to the weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel, South London. A church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope you are impacted by this week's teaching. If you would turn your Bibles with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2. We're in the series, God's Healthy Household. And um, Pastor Rob took us through chapter 1 clarifying the charge that Paul was given to Timothy to stop the false teachers from teaching their falsehood. The purpose being love. That as a people, we would dwell together in love without contention, without confusion. And so now we are continuing in that series as we look at chapter 2. And um, we consider what the Lord would say to us today. We'll be looking at verses 1 to 7 today. So um, let's read. I'll be reading from the ESV. And then I'll pray. First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people. For kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for your gracious and clear and full expression of yourself to us, Lord. You've made it clear through the words of our Savior that not one aspect of your word, not one comma, not one full stop, not one jot, nor one tittle will fall to the ground unfulfilled. But truly it will complete all that which it's been sent forth to do. And this is our desire as we come together today, Lord, that your word would be accomplished in our hearts and in our lives, that we would be changed and transformed through it and by it, Lord, and that we would become more like it, furthermore, more like him, the living word, who is Jesus. So have your way in our hearts today, Lord. Inspire us, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would challenge us. I pray, Lord, that you would cause us to truly be able to say that we have met with you today. Speak, Lord. We, your servants, listen. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, the uh, Apostle Paul is um, continuing with his admonition to Timothy. And we see that clearly as he states, first of all, then, as it says in the ESV. In some translations, it says, therefore, And so evidently we know that that is connecting us to what has been said previously. Paul is continuing in response to the theme that has been established in regards to silencing the false teachers and their teachings. In chapter 1 verse 3 he says, Remain at Ephesus that you may charge. That's a military term. As Pastor Rob said, that's a sergeant major term. Charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. And we appreciate that the teaching of different doctrines is not good. Even though we live in a time when the teaching of different doctrines is common. And it's commonly accepted. It is actually not good. And so it's important that 
right doctrine is declared and that it is clarified and contrasted against bad doctrine. They say that bad belief results in bad behavior. Thank you, Brother Carnegie, in case I had forgotten. Bad belief results in bad behavior, just as good belief results in good behavior. And so, as Paul has set out what the mandate is, he, began, he begins to address specific issues of belief and behavior as he goes into chapter 2. Now, yesterday I went into Sainsbury's, popped into pick up some supplies and I was actually quite I was I was quite um not shocked but it was I w- it was quite noticeable to me the amount of different languages that I heard in that short I was going to say half an hour it was probably more like 45 minutes and I was only probably buying about 5 items you know when men go shopping it's long. <laughs> so I must have been in there for about 45 minutes, genuinely, um, although I shouldn't have been. And I must have heard about at least five or six different languages being spoken by different people around me. And I was like, whoa, I wonder if we're beginning or I'm beginning to experience the build-up to the Olympics. Because we know, right, that the world is going to descend upon Britain. They're going to descend upon London in order to enjoy the spectacle that is the Olympic Games. And so people will be coming from all over the world. Now, they're trying to say that it's going to be thousands and thousands and so on and so forth. I don't really know, actually, if it is going to be so many. And I think that's what caused me to be quite aware of these different languages. I heard French, I heard Italian... I heard probably at least two Eastern European languages. There was um, Chinese being, or maybe I should say Cantonese being spoken. And I was like, whoa, I've been here for such a short space of time. And yet, being exposed to so many different people of different backgrounds. London is a cosmopolitan city. London is a multicultural environment, which most of us, I'm sure, would rejoice at the fact of that. And in view of that, we recognize that these verses that we're looking at today are all the more relevant to us. Have you ever heard it said that, you know what, we shouldn't preach Christ to people of other cultures You know, people that have maybe not grown up with the gospel, they've grown up with other religions or other beliefs. Or maybe you've kind of felt awkward um, sharing the gospel with people from other nations because, you know, they have their beliefs and they haven't grown up in a quote-unquote Christian country. And so, therefore, we shouldn't impose our views on them. We shouldn't impose our beliefs on them. Maybe you've at some point considered the fact that Jesus said, I am the way, and thought that it was unfair. Wow, that's kind of unfair that there's only one way to God, and he's Jewish. Because there are people that come from other nations that are even hostile to the gospel, that have not heard the gospel, or they do not have freedom of access to the scriptures and to the gospel. Anyone had to kind of deal with kind of considerations like that at some point? Maybe you've been challenged doing evangelism. Maybe you've heard it said, well, you know what? Um, I don't believe in Jesus because I grew up a Muslim. These are common sentiments. But we see in these verses one of the most emphatic and powerful instructions to us as believers to share the gospel with all people. 
all people. So if you look at verse 1, you will see that it says, at the end of verse 1, thanksgivings be made for all people. In verse 4, again, we see the phrase, who, de- who desires all people. In verse 6, we see it said that Christ gave himself as a ransom for all. And again, underlined in verse 7, when Paul identifies the fact that I am a teacher of the Gentiles. So the emphasis of this paragraph that we're looking at is the fact that the gospel is for who? For who? For all people, for everyone, without reservation, without hesitation. The gospel of Jesus Christ is for all people, regardless of their nationality, regardless of what religion they come from, regardless of what their cultural background is. It's for all people. That is what this paragraph is saying to us. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment and think about the practical implications of that. The gospel is for all people, whether they're Asian, whether they're from the African continent, whether they're from the Southern Hemisphere, even Aborigine, whether they're American Indian, or it's for all people. Regardless of the predominant religion within their country and within their culture. And this statement here is very emphatic. We see Paul using multiple words with the same meaning in order to drive home a point. They didn't underline text in those days. Two twos, they try to underline, no, they use a branch as a ruler and then they're going into the techno. There's no underlining of text. So what they would do is they would repeat the use of certain terms or they would restate certain terms in order to, for us to feel the emphasis. First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all people. He uses what? Four words there, all of which are translated prayer in other aspects of the New Testament. He's saying, pray, 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 pray for all people. Pastor Chuck has this saying, until you've prayed, you can do nothing. But once you've prayed, you can do anything. And you see, in order for the peoples of this world, and let me just bring it home, the peoples of this city to be reached by the gospel, there is a necessity that we pray. That we pray when we're on the bus, that we pray when we're at work, that we pray when we're watching TV and watching the news and hearing the stuff that's going on, and that we pray when we flick open the metro and hear and read the South London press, and that we pray when we go onto um, Facebook and we see this, and we pray that we be a people who pray and pray without ceasing. And as we pray, what God does is he conforms our hearts to his will. You see, prayer isn't an exercise in us trying to strong-arm God into doing what we want. No, when we pray, we pray, thy will be done. That's what we're praying, right? And so through us submitting ourselves, because it's a proud person that doesn't pray, It's a proud person that feels like, you know what, I don't really need to do that. Everything's kind of all right. And when things get peak, that's when I start praying. When things come on top, when it gets really hairy, when I'm in real trouble, oh Lord, if you get me out of this one. 
Now, that's not what the prayer life of a Christian is supposed to look like. We're supposed to be people who pray constantly. And so, although there are different words here given, and some people choose to kind of expound and, you know, like, First Timothy verse 1 is the seminar on prayer. Supplications. Okay, so supplications is the supplying of needs. and da, 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 da. I mean, you could look into it in that sense. But that isn't really the point. That's not the main focus. The main focus is the urge for us to pray. And so how much do you pray? Not just for yourself, but for others. How much do you pray for people of other nations and cultures? How much do you pray for those people who are in gospel-hostile nations? This is what we are instructed, we are urged to do. And being a city of many peoples, we would be in sin if we neglected to do that. He goes on to say that we're to pray for kings and all who are in high positions. Again, notice the double phrase in there. For kings and all who are in high positions. So all who are in high positions will include kings, right? But if people of different nations and cultures are going to be reached, we must first pray for those who are in authority over them. You see, those people who are in authority over them are the gatekeepers. And they have direct influence as to the freedom that the gospel has or doesn't have. And so in this country, we've enjoyed a certain degree of liberty because of a Christian heritage here in this nation where Christianity on a national level has been given regard in times past. And so we have this freedom to meet with Bibles in hand, without fear of the authorities crashing in on us with guns and wanting to take us away, as is experienced in places like China. And so it's necessary that we pray for those who are in authority. And even though we live in a culture and a climate that is not hostile in an in a, um, authoritative sense to the gospel, we need to pray that the Lord would continue to give us such freedom. In Ephesians 6, Paul calls on the, the Ephesians to pray for him. He says in verse 18, 18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Again, it's very similar to the phrase that he's stating to Timothy. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. It says, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. And so it's a reflection. As Paul shares this with the Ephesian believers, he now is sharing to Timothy as an elder of the Ephesians the same sentiment. Pray for kings and all who are in high positions. Why? That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Now, one of the things that we're to consider as we read this is we're to keep in mind very clearly that Paul is counteracting the message of the false teachers 
and the impact of the false teachers on the church there in Ephesus. And so, it is said that the false teachers were promoting a teaching that was anti-authoritarian, that was actually leading to people living an openly unruly lifestyle in a way that was ungodly and dishonored the name of Christ, in a way that caused Christians to be branded in a way that wasn't becoming of Christ. But he says, no, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Sometimes, as Christians, we can become very proud, we can become very arrogant, we can become very self-righteous, and want to run around pointing the finger at everyone and declaring what they're not. Telling people what they're not. Telling people what, you know, they ought to be and opposing even things that are good. Well, in doing so, we can often find ourselves in hot water. We can often find ourselves in a place where we're making trouble and experiencing trouble, but not for the gospel's sake. You see, Jesus said that believers will be persecuted and we're blessed when we're persecuted for righteousness sake. That we're blessed. But it doesn't say that we're blessed when we're arrogant, obnoxious, self-righteous, know-it-alls. And we're persecuted for that sake. I had a conversation with someone um, just on Thursday, I won't mention their name because I don't want to embarrass them like that. Um, but it was a sister. <laughs> and I was really encouraged. It was a really refreshing conversation because she was just relating to me an incident at work where she, had, she was having a conversation with someone who was openly a homosexual and it became very tense. And it became very difficult. And at the end of the conversation, and I won't go into all of the detail, you'll have to ask her. <laughs> no. <laughs> at the end of the conversation, the, the person that she was speaking to, um, who also professed a, a belief in God and in Christ, um, and yet held to being openly homosexual, um, that person was quite tearful. And the conversation finished. And then they, they spoke again. And the sister kind of said, you know what, I'm really sad and sorry that what I have said has caused you to feel this way. Although I hold to what I said as, you know, at, at the end of the day, you know, this is what God's word says, this is his perspective, this is his view on homosexuality. But my desire in saying it to you was not to provoke this kind of response. And I was like, how righteous and compassionate is that? So often, we want to just jump on somebody who is living an ungodly life with both feet. And then stamp, and then rub our feet on them. And yet we're called to be people of compassion who are respectful in the way that we deal with others, even those that oppose the gospel of Christ. It's not good when we're rude. It's not good at all. It is not a good witness. And so we're called to a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior. God is pleased with this. And when God is pleased and we know that his, his smile is upon us, we experience great blessing. 
And not just us, but the fervorance of his work. And so, we should pray. Because this is good. And it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. God is the Savior. And this is a, a reiteration of what Paul said in the opening verses of chapter 1. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. And so again, he's reaffirming the fact that God is our Savior. God is the one who saves. God saves, it is his work entirely. And we cannot save ourselves in any way, shape, or form. And this is something that causes us to rejoice because God is generous. As someone once said, God, you're so magnanimous. We serve a generous, compassionate, caring God. He is the Savior. And when you think about the fact that God doesn't have to save anyone. God doesn't need anyone, otherwise he wouldn't be God. It helps us to appreciate the genuine generosity and kindness and care of God that he would save any at all. And again, it goes on to say in verse 4, emphasizing this sense of generosity, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. The gospel is for all people. The gospel is for all people. Now, as we consider this verse, one of the things that we, with careful consideration, appreciate is that it cannot be communicating that God desires every individual who has ever been born to be saved. When we look at the context, we understand that when it speaks of all people, it's speaking of all classes, all categories, all cultures of people. It's talking about peoples with regards to people groups. And when you consider the gospel first came to the Jews... And it went from the Jews out to the nations. So we see Paul in verse 7 here, underlying, underlining very emphatically that I am a teacher of the Gentiles. One of the things that he's countering in these verses is the exclusivity that was being promoted by the false teachers. Flip back to chapter 1 of First Timothy. What does he say in verse 4? Nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Genealogies. Who was whose father? What, what nationality are you of? What tribe are you of? And this was something that was very common in Jewish thought. Because from the Jewish point of view, if your name ain't down, you can't come in. And they weren't talking about the Lamb's Book of Life. They were talking about the genealogical record. Are you actually a true Jew? Do you actually rank among the, the chosen people? And so again, we see here in verse 4 that there was a narrowness in the teaching of the false teachers. There was an exclusivity being prom promoted. Some say that the false teaching was Jewish in nature, and that would make complete sense. Some say that it may have been very Gnostic, which was a, a Greek philosophy of the day. It's unclear because Paul doesn't specify. My conviction is that it was more Jewish than it was Gnostic. 
And yet we see that the way that they were focusing on this exclusivity, you have to be in this category, whether it's your nationality has to be Jewish or you have to have this certain special knowledge that has been passed on to you by certain teachers and if it wasn't passed on to you by certain teachers and you weren't discipled by certain people, then you are out. It wouldn't be a wonder that it causes speculation. It wouldn't be a wonder that it causes uncertainty. Cause people to feel insecure. Wow, does God really love me? Am I even really saved? Do I qualify to be a part of of the, the redeemed? Do I qualify to be a Christian? Because I don't even, I'm not even sure if I meet the criteria. That would make anyone insecure, right? And yet we see that that is what Paul is countering when he is exposing the inclusive nature of the gospel, that it is a gospel for all people. Now, in Isaiah 56, we see this truth actually being stated by God as the intention of the gospel. We see this truth being stated as being the outcome of the gospel. And the whole chapter, and you can read it in your own time, kind of deals with that, with regards to the direction, the force, and the, the, the goal of the gospel. But in verses 6 and 7, we see this in Isaiah 56. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. And so as we see the Apostle Paul speaking to Timothy in this situation and dealing with this falsehood, he is communicating the heart of God. That God's house be a house of prayer for all people. And that the foreigners would be brought in. Those who are non-Jews. And have equal right and access to the saving grace of God. This is communicated by Jesus. And remember the circumstances when Jesus says, says this. In Mark eleven seventeen, it says, And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. Again, Jesus was confronting the falsehood of the scribes and Pharisees. And in the context of confronting that falsehood where they were making it hard for people. Oh, so you want to come and make sacrifice, yeah? Well, you have to use a special temple shekel. And the temple shekel is, is worth three of your shekels. There wasn't nothing special about the temple shekel. It was extortion. They were just taking the opportunity to line their pockets. They were making it hard for people to come and connect with God. And yet Jesus says that, listen, you're making it hard for people to come, but this is supposed to be a house of prayer for all the nations, for all peoples. Don't make it hard. Make it clear. Now we understand that. The gospel is narrow. 
we understand that Jesus is the way. And Paul goes on to address this because in verse 5 of 1 Timothy 2, he says there is one God. And so now he gives us the reason, he qualifies the fact that the gospel is for all people. He qualifies that the gospel is for all people and the terms under which it is available to all people. He says, for there is one God. Let's pause there for a moment. Think about this. What are we saying when we say, look, you know what? It's not really fair that we share Jesus with people from other nations, from other cultures, and from other countries. It's not fair that we share Jesus with people from other religions because they've got their religion. What are we saying? We're saying that there's more than one God. We're saying that they have their God or gods. And that's fine. And what we have is just another No, there's one God, the maker of heaven and earth, who made all peoples that exist. And so this is the reason why we are to share the gospel with all people. Because there is only one God who made all people, from whom all people came. And so any other God is a false God. So it's important that we not accommodate idolatry in the name of compassion. Because ultimately, that's what it is. There is one God. And as it says in Acts 17, verses 30 and 31, he has the right and the power to command all people to repent and put their faith in Jesus Christ. whom he crucified and raised from the dead. Because he is the God of all. He's the maker of all people. He is the authority over all people. And so there is one God, not many. Now having said that, we might say, okay, well, we know that there's one God, and we're not saying that there are many gods, or their God is fine. We're just saying that there's one God, but their way to God is cool, right? Their way to God is okay. Their way to God is what they know. That's what they've been brought up with. And so just, you know, like, just kind of leave them. Don't, don't interfere. But Paul goes on to say, look, the terms under which we connect with the true and living God is through the one mediator that exists. One mediator between God and man. There's one go-between. There's one um, who's qualified as a lawyer to represent man and to speak on behalf of God. There's only one. The man, Christ Jesus. This drives home to us the necessity for us to preach the gospel to all people with consideration, with compassion, making the gospel known, making it accessible, but it's necessary because Jesus is the way, definite article, the truth, definite article, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. No one. I was blessed. I met a brother in Watts and he had just come back from Jordan and he was going to Oman to be a missionary. And he said, you know, I'm going to kind of just start off, get, learn the language, get used to the culture and then, God willing, I'm going to go into some more difficult areas where they have no access to the gospel and where you can be killed His name's John. May we keep him in prayer. That excited my heart. 
Because the gospel is not an optional extra in life. It's a necessity for all people. There is only one God and one mediator between God and men. There are not many roads to God. God has determined how man will come to him. We can't just make it up as if we and God are on a level. All right, God, so I know that you're there. And, you know, it's kind of inconvenient to kind of go the gospel road. So I'm just going to kind of do it like this. Yeah, I'm still coming to you, but no. God is the boss. He is the one who determines and dictates on what terms we come to him. And he has provided a mediator. The word in the Greek speaks of someone, it was used in Greek culture, the word mediator was used in Greek culture, of someone who would come and reconcile those two who were having an argument, who were having a disagreement. It would be like somebody who would step up in a civil court and he would endeavor to bring the two um, conflicting parties together and mediate a resolve. And this person, the the, the Mercedes, could only be someone who both parties accepted as being a valid and suitable person to represent their interests. Both parties had to agree. And we see this in Christ, who is 100% God and able to represent God to man, and yet be 100% man, and be a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses as he goes before the Father on our behalf. Who else could do the job? Only Jesus. And it goes on in verse 6 to say, he gave himself a ransom for all, not just the Jews, all peoples, all cultures. You see, the, the, the person who was chosen to be the, the Mercedes, the mediator, they would only be chosen once in their lifetime. And what would happen is that person would seek to bring together these two conflicting parties, these two arguing parties, and even if it meant he had to do so at his own expense. He had to pay out of his own funds and resources in order to bring them together to try and make this resolve. Then that's what the mediator had to do in Greek culture. And we recognize that this is exactly what Jesus done. He gave himself, he gave himself. It wasn't just at his own expense. He was the expense by which he's brought mediation And we recognize that we need mediation. All people need mediation because all have sinned, violated God's will. All are offenders. God has beef with all men. It's called sin. And so we couldn't come to God on our terms having violated his law. We needed someone to act as a barrister on our behalf. I remember my most recent visit to court. I was really taken. I say my most recent visit to court like I was a trial, right? (laughs) No, I'm not that guy. (laughs) Try not to be anyway. But I was really taken at the way in which the barristers had such respect and spoke to the judge with such deference. It was almost as if they were like, like fawning, as they say, or, or, or just like scared. They were just, and, and um, well, your honor, if you would be pleased to hear this matter, um, it, it would, we would be very grateful if you would take into consideration. And, but that's only if you please your honor. And I'm not exaggerating. 
If anyone's, if you, anyone's sat in court, you see how the barristers, they have such deference and respect for the judge. At the end of the day, they, they, they know that their client, their life is on the line. And so they better come correct. Listen. And Jesus is that one who was able to approach the Father in the correct manner. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. But if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. Back in the day, old school, they used to say that Jesus will have a, a, a serious case of lockjaw and amnesia when you stand before God. You see, we need a mediator. We need one to intercede, to mediate on our behalf. Because we are not able to come to God. We're not on his level. And yet in order to do so, Jesus became the expense that was required by God's eternal justice in order for us to be reconciled. And in verse 6 it says that this is the testimony given at the proper time. This is something that actually happened in time and space. This isn't just fiction. This isn't one of those myths that the false teachers are peddling. This is real. This is truth. This happened in time and space. And Paul goes on to say that, For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle, a herald, one who declares, a specially sent messenger. And he goes on to say, I am telling the truth. I am not lying. And the emphasis is not on what he's just said, but on what he's about to say. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith, in truth. From the original, that could be translated to instruct the nations in the true faith. Not the falsehood being peddled by these guys that's causing people uncertainty, that's just resulting in speculation and contention, that's causing people to just go and live lawless lives and make trouble in the community, but to instruct the nations, all peoples, not just the Jews, in the true faith. You see, it may seem narrow. And Jesus said that the road to eternal life is narrow. It's constricted. And to be honest, me personally, it actually, um, it's a relief that it is. Because there's no greater confusion than saying that all roads lead to God and they contradict one another. So if all roads lead to God, but to you, Jesus is just a prophet. To this one, Jesus is the brother of Satan. To an, like, mm, how can I have any certainty? Because they all seem so different. God has made it simple. God has made it clear. And God has made the gospel accessible to all people. In Romans 3, um, verse 29 and 30, it says this. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one. 
See the same theme there again? Since God is one, there is one God. He will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Evidently in Christ Jesus. God is good. Amen. All the time. And he will justify by faith. You see, in every other religion that exists, the way to reach paradise, the way to reach God, the way to receive eternal life is through the works that we do. We have a, have, we have a, a mandate, we have an agenda, and we have to fulfill that agenda. And the reality is that no one can. The Jews of all people knew this because they were unable to keep the law of Moses. And yet God in his generosity and goodness didn't merely give us a list of rules to keep in order to qualify, but he sent his son to keep the rules on our behalf and also pay the penalty for our violation in order that we could be forgiven. And so the gospel is for all people of all nations, of all cultures. And as we get ready to close, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about those cultures or subcultures that you don't really kind of check for, you don't really like. You know, for some, it might be, well, you know, I don't really like Jamaicans, you know. Nervous laughter, because I know that some of you, that's real. <laughs> I don't really like Jamaicans, they're so coarse and so crass. <laughs> or, you know what? Those, those, those gothic emo kids, like, what is that all about? Slashing and piercing and all wearing black and black makeup and... Whatever culture or subculture it is that kind of pushes your buttons, Jesus died for them as well. When I was in California, I was standing in a shop and I saw this video come on and it was, I don't even know what you call it, it was just one of them like demonic videos, straight. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if they call it like rap core or but it was just, you know, that growling, shouting, kind of quote-unquote singing, kind of rapping. And like, I'm an open-minded guy. I love different cultures. Love different, but I didn't understand it. And I, I intentionally stood there and watched the whole video. I said, no, I'm going to watch all of this video. And they had like one creature that it was a, like a, a beaten cut up person and it was all blood and it was dried and it was doing craziness and, and I was like people and, 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 the, and oh that was it the song was called something like My Damnation and I thought to myself Lord have his mercy <laughs> so I stood there watching this video just trying to see what is it that people see in this. Like, what's the appeal? I didn't understand it. But at the end of it, I had to say, Lord, you died for these people as well. There's people in this culture that you, Lord, you've, 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 you've chosen to know you. That are waiting to hear the gospel. And it challenged me. Because what if now God was saying, look, you know what? I want you to kind of mix with the people in this culture and, and, and share Christ. And furthermore, I want you like Paul to be all things to all men and start wearing black lipstick and black makeup and black finger, finger arm paint. And, and I'm like, what could I say? Because they need Jesus as well, right? Now, I'm, I don't think <laughs> God's calling me but the least I can do is pray I wouldn't know where to begin to relate 
to people in that culture. But then for some of us, it's the same when we consider street culture. And we see the guys with their hoods on and their trousers hanging off and they're just on road and they're selling drugs. And, and it was like that in what's midday and their pimps are prostituting girls. And it's a place that nobody wants to go. And they build the freeway so that they can avoid going through it. They just go over it. Pretend it's not even there. And it's, and it's so like that. And the reality is that, you know, they say 80% of Christians that come to faith in the hood leave the hood within three years. That's, that's like a, a global statistic. Same in the UK, states, wherever. 80% of Christians that come to faith in the hood leave the hood within three years. And you know that people ain't trying to get back in to fill that void. So where's the representation of the gospel? You see, the reality is that this has implications <clears throat> that are very personal to where we're at. This isn't just a global missionary call and emphasis. But we have that emphasis right on our doorstep. Those needs of various kinds on our doorstep. And so may we be a people who pray for all people and those in authority. Because God desires from all peoples for some to be saved. And come to the knowledge of the truth. May we be found faithful. Amen. Now, as a forewarning, it is evident that this text here is such that it is often debated amongst Christians. In fact, in a way that is contrary to what Paul has said in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Saying, look, don't involve yourself in speculations. And yet people have speculated over these verses with regards to the whole issue of atonement and Christ's atoning work. Is this saying that God is a universalist God who's going to save everyone whether they've sinned or not? The context doesn't permit that. And time doesn't permit right now for us to go into all of that but community group does. <laughs> so if you have questions in relation to that, then be prepared for us to examine the scripture and allow the scripture to speak for itself in relation to the issues of atonement and whether Jesus shed his blood for every individual and that God desires all people to be saved, every single individual. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God and Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for your goodness and faithfulness toward us, Lord, in um, allowing us to be recipients of your gospel, of your great news. We're here today, Lord, because our lives, even as Gentiles, have been impacted by the gospel for all nations. And Lord, our prayer is today, Lord, you would find us as a house of prayer for all nations. That we would be a people who are faithful in giving ourselves to you. Who are faithful in seeking you on behalf of people of all nations and all cultures. Regardless of their creeds, regardless of their religions. And that, Lord, we would be faithful to declare the gospel to these people. Lord, we appreciate that even with the Olympics looming, there is going to be opportunity on our own doorstep, Lord, to minister to the nations. Give us a heart, Lord. Um, equip us, Lord, with the ability to, to communicate faithfully and effectively. Lord, may we be prayerfully supporting those ministries that are going to be on the front line in East London there. And Lord, I pray that you would 
cause your name to be greatly glorified. That there would be those who maybe even for the first time hear of Jesus Christ, the Savior, and come to eternal life. And so, Lord, we just commit to you our own hearts and lives. We commit to you our city, Lord. We commit to you those in authority over this nation, Lord. And pray, Lord, that you would give us free course with your gospel. Thank you for your mercy and your grace towards us. In Jesus' name, amen. To find out more about us, visit our website at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter at CC South London. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.